G'day folks, AOS Coach here and welcome to a very exciting interview discussion that I have. Um, I've just gotten back a week ago, funnily enough, from Atlanta where I was uh, one of the tournament organizers and I guess referees to the World Championships of Warhammer uh, where I was supporting the Age of Sigma incredible event and you'll probably see a little bit of coverage you saw a little bit of preparation with myself and Todd Meggs before I left uh, and I am absolutely honored to have the winner of the World Championships of Warhammer um, Nicola Tasson um, the not only the winner but um, some incredible stories coming out of this because if you asked me who was going to win the event one Lumineth wouldn't have been the pick two if Lumineth was the pick, it wouldn't have been with Teclas. If you mention anyone on the internet and you ask them about Teclas in this general's handbook, they would have thought you were absolutely insane. But here we are, Nicola not only won the event, but did it with, with Lumineth. And I'm super excited to talk to Nicola, not only about the, the list that he ran, but also the preparation, the event itself, some of his games. Um, Discord has given me an incredible amount of questions. So we'll kind of navigate this conversation, hopefully not be too long, but I do want to kind of get into the to the weeds and, and really understand how you can really up your game, how you can become a better player, what it might take for you to become the world champion maybe next year or the following years, and maybe some of the lessons from the French community as well. But before I get into all of that, Nicola, welcome, introduce yourself and let them know who you are and uh, what are you all about? Hello, everybody. Hello, coach. Uh, I'm really glad to be here to just talk to everybody about what I did. Uh, I'm 33. I'm a French player uh, on Age of Sigmar. I started playing Age of Sigmar like two years ago, basically when thirds uh, released and always played Lumineth a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm glad to share all that I can with you guys and just be sure that everybody can take the most out of what I did and just learn. Well, it is an absolute uh, privilege to have you chatting because if you think about this and folks, if you didn't catch uh, the um, the original conversation I had with Tom, who was also one of my judges, well, not out, we were a team. He wasn't my judge. We were a team of judges. Um, this was a really grueling tournament. It was a group of people who have won a major event in their country, who have all come together in an absolute grueling uh, up to, Nicola, did you play like 12 games? Like, is that how many games you end up playing? Yeah, uh, 12 is the number. Uh, it, I think it's the highest number of games you can play at this event. Yeah, so um, the just to give you a bit of a backstory, um, everyone who attended, so it was about uh, 88 eight players, I think, in the end. Um, so 88 of the best players in the world who have come together uh, competing in a five-game tournament. It was all broken up in, you know, a couple of groups and, you know, two people from each group would go on to qualify into a, uh, I guess, like a, a best of the best death match kind of situation who would ultimately determine who is the world champion of Warhammer from uh, Games Workshop. Uh, everyone else continued to play. They would play on uh, and play a couple of extra games. Uh, their, their run would be about eight games in total. And the big difference with this particular event was that it was a double knockout. So 
the first time you lost in that top eight, the, the remaining eight players, didn't necessarily mean that you get kicked out of completely. So you got a second chance to play another game. Once you suffered two losses, that's when you kind of dropped out of the pool. So uh, Nicola uh, ended up playing 12 games, which included four games in day three. Four games, right? Like the Ronya game was game. It was the last game. And then you went on and played basically sudden death where you played three games on day four. So 12 games in total bonkers. Yeah. I mean, um, I love the format. I, I was already telling that to a friend. Um, I mean, the, the two first day felt like a small tournament because you, you have to finish first. You have to have no losses because uh, the the two first player go to top eight. But uh, if you got one loss, you have no guarantee to go. So basically, you have to win a small tournament against the world best players. And after that, you have double elim bracket, which is really great, actually. I I, I think because uh, at the moment. Um, it's almost impossible to bring an army, bring a list that can face everybody. So having a chance to drop one game is really great because you can still go from the loser bracket. And that's just what I did. So I just loved the, the format, obviously, because it profited me, right? And uh, it was just great, but it was really long and it was a lot of games. It was a lot of games. I was talking to um, some people who were asking me about my experience being uh, one of the organizers. And, you know, we had a great team of, you know, James and, and Tomo and Tom Meggs and um, there was a, a Matt. Uh, there was a, a really good team. And reflecting on it, our days were like 7 a.m. till in some cases midnight back to back because some of those games did run quite late. Um, and there was obviously the game where there was four four games on, on in one particular day. So there were massive days, but everyone had really good energy. People enjoyed themselves. It was crazy, like when the uh, the I guess Mike uh, Brandt, who was the, the the head of the heads when um, running the event, I remember his speech at the start where he basically said, "Look around you, there is a bunch of losers here." And he wasn't being mean, but everyone who comes to the event has had probably won a major tournament and might have been a while since they had actually lost a game yet someone could go zero and eight or you could go two and two and six like it was a very realistic expectation no game was going to be easy and um people people slogged it out it was a a really grindy event did you feel that or did you feel there was a couple of easy games uh every game was hard Really, I've never been to uh, an event that was that hard to play. Uh, I had one game that was a bit easier because of the matchup and the person did not really understand what my army did. But it was not a free game at all. And all the other games were, were really uh, like f uh, fourth or five game uh, at a regular event. It's... Uh, yeah, it was it was really different. It was it was the the best event I've ever been and the the toughest I think. Uh, I just loved it and yeah, the the speech at the start, uh, it's just great because he is true. He is right, you know. Uh, half half the player will lose their first game 
And no, no, none of us are really used to that because we're used to win at least our first three games, you know, uh, at every event. And yeah, it, it was really different and really tough, but that's just why we play, I think. So let's take a step back. So that was the event, and um, I'm going to do another video uh, recapping the actual tournament with a couple of the Australians. So if you want to actually know more about the event and how it operated, um, I highly recommend you check out this video probably not long after this one records. So uh, keep an eye out on that. But I want to rewind for a second. And by the way, I forgot to use my bad French. I was going to say bonjour, Nicolas, but I completely forgot um, to, to, to welcome you in my, my terrible French. Let's rewind for a second. And let's, let's talk about how you got there to begin with. So can you tell me about the lead up to the World Championship? Did you, um, what was the event that you, you won your golden ticket from? And um, tell me more about that experience um so it was in uh in spring um i decided with some friends with some french friends to go to warmer fest because uh it seemed like a, a huge event and we really wanted to try to go to a uk event to face international players and to try something different because we were really used to go to french tournament and uh we we already know everybody in the french scene and we ended up going to, to Warmer Fest. And I brought Caradron Overloads because uh, it's an army that I wanted to play since a long time. But I was waiting for the new book because the old book I didn't like how it played. And I brought Caradron. Um, and I played OK. It was not my best games. I think uh, they, um, we, we were supposed to play eight games. And uh, we were judged for uh, a lot of awards after the six first the six first games, and I ended up four and two after the six first game, uh, losing to two slave to darkness I think to Vanguard slave to darkness. It was kind of a tough matchup, and I did not play my best. But um, what's really funny is after that, after those two days. I went just to grab some food with the friends and uh, not really staying at the venue at uh, at the evening. And the next day, when I came uh, when I came on the morning to play my two remaining games, uh, Matros just came to me and asked me if I if I saw the news. And I I just what news? No, I, I don't know anything. And he just announced me that I won best overall, and I was shocked because I. I think at the time I didn't even knew there was a best overall or a golden ticket or anything. And he just announced me that I won that. And it was really a surprise uh, because I, in my opinion, I performed poorly with a 4-2. Um, but well, I was saved by my painting score. Um, and after that, I, I was, I, kind of felt like I I was not sure of deserving to go to such an event because, yeah, uh, Games Workshops always say that best overall and best general are equal, but in my eyes, it's not. Uh, I'm really aiming for best general every, every time I go to a tournament, and I always try to do my best. Uh, so after that, I went to several events just to prove that I could go to the to the the world championship with another ticket, 
and I almost won one at the end of August uh, at Nottingham. Uh, I actually went to the final with a French friend and uh, lost to him uh, in the final. Uh, but it was really great because uh, that friend could then go to the warmer championship. Um, but yeah, basically, I always felt like I was not sure I deserved to be there. Um, but uh, I guess I, I guess I did deserve because I finally won the, the event. Uh, but yeah, that was basically the story leading up to the championship. And I think I, I think yeah. by, I'm, I'm going to rudely interrupt you and say that you sure. definitely deserved it. And I know talking to the French at uh, there was what twelve of you. There was a fair yeah. amount of there was a fair amount of you at the tournament. You know, I saw the professionalism and the camaraderie and how serious you as a team, whether it was the team huddle, whether it was talking and, and um, breaking down each game and thinking about how your your win path then. And there was, there was some really great professionalism and, and I can see why the French team does incredibly well at the world champion, the team's tournaments. So yep. many worlds tournaments at the moment. There's the, the, the world's teams tournament. I can see why you do so well. You absolutely deserve it. And the reason I'm interjecting here is, um, folks, people who won their golden ticket um, would be obviously up to the tournament organizer. So uh, I was a tournament organizer. I run um, Australia's second largest um, singles tournament, Sydney GT. And I had only asked this year for one ticket. So I could have requested two and could have done a, a best overall and a best general, or I could have done you know first and second uh, but for me what i wanted to do was i just wanted one ticket to start the the, the process and i um was able to allocate um a, a decent amount i couldn't pay the complete trip but i was able to offer a, a fair amount of money towards the, the the winner's trip to make it happen so um it was obviously up to the tournament organizer's discretion on who wins but uh, I, I know you would have loved to be in best general and best overall and 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 um, get that six and oh but you absolutely deserve it and i think you proved that as well on your run through the world championship so um and I, I know a lot of people are a bit funny about that like why am i here why am i so deserved you know when you hear all the names all the people that you know about um you know you're like what am i doing in this room and Yet here we are, some of those people with the names um, lost their first two games. Some people who we haven't really heard about had gone on an incredible run to, to the finals. And there was a wonderful mix of European names um, and American names and Australian names. And you had Singaporeans and you had people from Poland. And there was this mix of we don't know how this is going to work. You know, are the Americans going to retain and, you know, they're in home? is someone coming out from left field with something that's completely off meta something that we've never heard about it's going to catch people off it was incredible to watch and and see how this all unfolded yeah it definitely was great meeting everybody from everywhere i really loved talking to everyone the only thing that i didn't have a lot of time talking with everybody because i had to play so much games and that's the only thing that I regret a bit, but I'm, I'm so ready to, to go to another event just to meet everybody again and just talk a bit more. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's I, basically it. I can appreciate that because I had people asking me about my experience and, um, you know, would I want to play in an event like that? And honestly, no. 
It's not because I don't want to. It's because I think to your point, I was able to talk to so many people. I was able to to be able to spend time, and it was it wasn't a great experience for me as you know as as a judge, but also as someone who could get to know the community, get to know people better, and 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 watch them play like it was crazy watching people play throughout the various battle rounds and you know the interactions and you know at their their highest of highs and their lowest of lows so um i guess yeah it was a great experience and um i yeah I, hopefully i'll be back next year yeah i really i really would love that because i think the the team you you, you have you had there the the judge team the 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 tos everybody was really great i i, I loved it really it was, it was, a, it was a good mix. I, you know, we had, um, there was a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, like I try to avoid my countrymen, for example. So anytime an Australian, uh, interaction or a question came up, I would avoid it because I didn't want to make a ruling to my countrymen. And yet, you know, we had a, we had a judge from, you know, Europe, we had a judge from Canada, we had a judge from America, we had, you know, an international team, which is brilliant. But let's talk a little bit more about, the event and, and and your path to victory how does it compare to other wins and other major you know accomplishments you've had accomplishments you've had in warhammer i mean it, it's really different because first it's the world championship so the the, the title the the prestige is really different it feels different uh but also the format uh, as as I explained a bit before, it's it's just uh, on another level because you, I, I'm really used to play five games in two days. That's the standard, even sometimes six. Uh, but playing twelve games in four days and you cannot really lose more than one game, uh, and against that level of opponents, it's really hard. And also. Um, when I'm coming to a solo event, I try to bring a list that can, that have, that always have a shot to win the game. And it's not that easy to make a list that way. And uh, when you when you try to make a list this way, every game is hard. You you do not have any easy game. No no game is lost, but no game is easy. And it really takes uh, a lot of uh, preparation, I'd say, to be able to perform for 12 games in a row uh, with a list that is a bit more technical than the, the average of lists. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, the goal that I try to aim. And uh, yeah, I, I think the event uh, was just something else. Uh, I'm not sure uh, any event can compare to that one because of the level, the global level that, that was around and the, um, the format that was really great. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure any event can compare to that. It was definitely, you know, and obviously there was a few people who couldn't make it and, you know, uh, hopefully it continues to grow and we get more of the best players of the world. Uh, but I'm going to... While I bring up your list, I might ask you a question that came from Five Kids to Feed is what got you into uh, Age of Sigma and how did you go from like a casual game to becoming like a match play competitive gamer? Uh, what's casual? I've never played casual. Um, uh, when, when, 
when I started playing Age of Sigmar, it was like two years ago. Um, I was uh, I loved the game, and I was coming from War Machine, which was already a, a competitive game design-wise. Um, and I I wanted something where I could just express uh, skill and yeah, basically just uh, have to think about everything every time during the game. So that's my approach to the game. Um, so I, I never really played casual. I, I I played outside of tournaments at start with friends, but the friends I played with are pretty much the same. So every game is fierce and we, we, all, we all play to win, uh, but we, we also play to win uh, cleanly and we try to have the game uh going uh how to say a, a good way the, the the best way to play the game not really uh trying to to have gotchas or everything like that uh the goal is to be a better general not to just hide things from people and take them by surprise and uh yeah besides that i started playing warmer fantasy battle 20 years ago i think uh on sixth edition it was my cousin that just introduced me to that which and, army which army uh, i started playing with i health oh. <laughs> yeah uh, i know and he was playing skaven uh so yeah it's a bit funny uh, because he watched the final and just said, hey, I'm happy either way. Either you win or Skaven wins. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because uh, one of my friends, uh, Konstantinos, um, who's been on the channel before, he sent me a picture and then he tweeted it, the same picture. Um, he's The final, which was Skaven, Tom Morsley versus yourself, um, he sent me a picture of the, is it the 7th edition box where the, the yeah. battle box was Skaven versus High Elves. And he had said, you know, 20 years on, we're still fighting this fight. And um, I found that hilarious. Yeah, I, I think that this is great because uh, Age of Sigmar just brought a new faction and new identities, which is really great, but also kept uh, some of what made Warhammer Fantasy Battle really a successful game. And I just love that you can recreate uh, some things from the past. By the way, there's something in the water of War Machine. Like when I look over who attended the World Championships, there was, at least from my recollection, a, a good amount of people who had a War Machine background. I know in Australia, two of our players, Henry Wagner and um, and Tom Oliver, come from War Machine. Ronya, I believe, come from War Machine. Uh, uh, Tom Guan come from War Machine. Uh, I, I don't know if Garrett came from War Machine or others, but I, I know when I was talking to people, it seemed like people had a bit of a background on that precision, competitive, super movement-focused game. And I know the marks kind of changed a little bit, and uh, many of you all jumped over. But uh, it's interesting to hear just how many people have a War Machine background and, and doing well in Sigma. Yeah, I think it's not, a, it's not really a surprise because... Um... I personally uh, left after the end times uh, because I was not happy with the first edition of Age of Sigmar, and I think it's a pretty common point. And at that time, War Machine was really taking off, and it was really uh, competitive-oriented, and it just suits how the, the way we want to play, and the rules were really great. 
so I, I mean I don't think it's a surprise because War Machine is a uh, is really a technical game mm -hmm. and it really helps you playing Age of Sigma I think. No, I, I agree, and, and that's the general feedback that I hear from people. Uh, by the way, people are probably wondering at this point, what is the list? So uh, I actually might go over the list, um, not briefly, but we'll go over the list first, and I'd love to ask you a few questions about yeah. that preparation and how you settled on this list. And it's fascinating because, again, Lumineth isn't top of the meta choices and doesn't have the highest win percentage right now. Uh, you made you made some choices, as I mentioned, Techless, for example, that isn't a very popular pick. And you've also mentioned that, you know, of your two years playing Age of Sigma, you've mostly played Lumineth. So there's something in this of, of sticking yeah. with an army through the good times and the bad. It's less about the list. It's more about piloting through the games and making the right micro decisions that people probably have heard me talk over and over and over about on the channel. But I'm going to read out the to yeah, just please. A, just a bit. Um, just want to make a quick point about win percentage because a lot of people just interpret that uh, in a bad way. Uh, win percentage don't mean a lot. Uh, and I mean that because um, win percentage do not reflect the difficulty to play an army. Um, a, a hard to play army like Lumineth right now can still be really good, uh, but it's not reflected in the win percentage because if it's difficult, it, the percentage will go down a bit. Uh, so basically, it's, it's not a complete tool. You have to look at it, but it's not. You, you cannot just say that the army that is sixty percent is uh, better than an army that is uh, at uh, fifty-five. The what what you can take out of that is that an army that is sixty percent maybe is a bit too easy to play optimally. Um, but uh, as you can ask every good player here uh, with. I think any army, those players can have a win rate of 70% at any normal event. So just take every um, win percentage with a grain of salt because Lumineth, when right when piloted correctly, are not uh, 47 win percent. But also that's also true from almost every army can be piloted really better than 50%, and that's also why Age of Sigmar is pretty good to play at the moment is because skill can overcome uh, faction strength. And uh, yeah, just don't get too hang up on win percentage, please. No, I agree with you. And thank you for, for calling that out because the minute we see Caradron Overlords or Blades of Corn or Ossiak Bone Reapers doing really well in the meta, People seem to jump on the win percentage, like, oh my god, we gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my list very similar. But there's obviously so much below that. And um, when you pilot an army through the bad times, um, you learn a lot more about the game and you learn a lot more about the faction. So that again, you make better decisions, you anticipate the the opponent better. Like there's so many benefits to sticking with an army through the bad times, or even the times where, you know, to your point, um, Sometimes with with like I know a big thing with Lumineth has been what is the list? You know, the, the techless bubble for a long time was the was the build. 
um, you, you know, there's, there's been variations, but, you know, Teclis has, has been the center. The minute this Antorian locus has come in and primal dice, it seemed like people abandoned ship pretty quickly. And the last couple of months has been, how do I build the Lumineth list um, to, to handle the, the current general's handbook? So that can also tank the win percentage down as you are making, you know, incorrect decisions. You might not play them as well, or you might not appreciate their their lack of durability without the, uh, one of your ward saves like this there's a lot more to your point behind the wind percentage yeah so i'm going to go through your list and then i want to talk a bit more about your preparation and you know uh for example um joe the mortark of big dumb saying you know like what motivated you to take lumineth so before you answer that question let me go through your list just for anyone who's listening you know on a podcast or maybe they're driving so you were Lumineth Realm Lords, you were Zytrek as your sub-faction, you had taken the spellcasting savant as the grand strategy, and your triumph was inspired. Your list included a Calagrave, which had Merciless Blizzard, you had a Cathalar, which was the general, the Shaman of the Chilled Land command trait, the artifact of the Phoenix Stone, and the spell of uh, Speed of Hish. You had Teclas, you had the Light of Otharion, you then had 10 uh, Venari Wardens, which had over overwhelming heat. You had a unit of five Blade Lords with, uh, yeah, just the five Blade Lords. Uh, you had five Dawn Riders. They had the speed of Hish as well. You had three Endless Spells in Maelstrom, Spell Portal, and um, the Aethervoid Pendulum. You also had uh, five Dawn Riders, four and five Dawn Riders. So both of them had speed of Hish. So you had 15 Dawn Riders in total by the looks of it. Uh, and that was all wrapped up in the Antorian Acolytes Battalion for the extra primal magic dice on a three plus, as well as battle regiment to re reduce the drops. So you were a total of what, three drops? Yep. Three drops. So talk to me a little bit more about this list and um, and why, why Lumineth, given again, their win percentage is not that strong, um, yeah, what, what, you know, was, is it a personal favorite of yours? Was it a challenge? Like, tell me more. Um, when when the GHB released, um, I knew I wanted to play Lumineth because uh, that's kind of my my faction. I play seven or eight different faction, but Lumineth feels like home. It just fits my play style and, and me. So I knew I wanted to start the season with Lumineth. Um, and when the when the GHB released, um, I started to build some things, and it was pretty much obvious for me because uh, everybody was kind of like, yeah, uh, now everybody can unbind Teclis, uh, so that's bad. Uh, but I, I always look on the bright side. I it's just Teclis can. Uh, basically, you will never get a blizzard in your face, and I never got blizzarded, which is really something because that spell can change the course of the game. Um, you also have one free battle tactic because you can do magical dominance at any point in the game, and your your opponent cannot do anything about it. So that's one important thing. And you have uh, battle tactic denial because. If you go first, you put Teclis at the center of the board, and the opponent cannot do magical dominance. So it's really strong. Uh, I, I think Teclis is really, really strong. Um, 
also uh, just before the the release of the GHB, the Seraphon book just came out, and I knew I wanted to handle to be able to handle Seraphon because uh, it's just a bit broken right now, in my opinion, just the starbomb part. And I knew I wanted to build something that could go against Seraphon. And the obvious answer was Techless because the four four plus ignore uh, can you you can just play into Seraphon with that. And basically, the the matchup against Seraphon is really stupid. You just you cast one spell a turn, which is the ward, and you cannot do anything about it. You put Techless at the center of the board. And you try to unbind as much as you can, and if he and he cannot really target you with spells because you have um, he, he does d3 if the spell goes through d3 mortals, but you have a four up chance, so half chance to just uh, shoot back to him the d3, except you have the reward after that, so the the odds are better for you. Uh, so he cannot just really target you freely with, with spells. And you can usually unbind a lot of spells. So basically, the list can handle uh, Seraphon pretty effectively, which is not easy with most lists. Nurmiliad maybe can, but even against Nurmiliad, if you have six objectives, good luck getting points against Seraphon. And uh, so yeah, that was the basic uh, the basic thing I thought about when integrating Techless. And also, Techless is the best toolbox in the game. Period. It's just, uh, it just, it, it has almost everything. We we just missed a uh, no ward spell, but I mean that's fine. And um, the the mentality to go around primal dice because yeah, people will be able to unbind one spell from Techless, but the mentality I build my list around is like, I have ten important spell. Yeah, you, you can unbind one. I don't mind. I have I have nine other in really important ones, uh, because this is the case. I I have really a lot of important spells. Uh, so yeah, you, you can unbind one. You can have a, you you can choose to unbind one, and that's fine for me. So you you can it also uh, complexify a bit the hero phase because you have to announce a spell in the right order because you want to bait the primal dices there to just have the, the important spell where you want. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of uh, the fun of playing the list. And after that, after bringing Techless in, the rest is pretty much kind of easy. You want Altharian because he's you, your best combat piece in, in the book right now. There is nothing better than that. And his shooting ability is just great in uh, meta when you where you cannot really snipe hero. Uh, well, with with Techless Searing Light plus Malvant Maelstrom plus um, the Pendulum. Uh, after that, if there is a, a hero you, with like one or two wounds left, uh, Thyron can just pick that up, which is really, really, really strong. Uh, then two wizards. You just need two wizards to have the battalion. So basically, a Cathar because she, she her spell is insane, and uh, and just the the ability to redirect Aether Quartz is is really key. And after that, I would just I was just looking for the cheapest uh, wizard, which is a Calligraph. So you have those two, 
and um, you, you have to have Blizzard on those two because of the way Deeplinker interacts with Blizzard. Basically, you have two free Blizzard per battle, which is really, really strong. So the hero part of the list kind of writes itself off once you bring Teclis in. And after that, you just want as much body as possible because you don't have a lot of wounds, so you want as much as possible. So the way to do it is you have to have 10 wardens there. You can bring five uh, blade lord because you want to protect those two wizards. And after that, just three, three units of dawn riders because they're cheap and they are wizards. And they're really fast. And really fast units are the way to play the game right now, I think. Uh, movement is key in Age of Sigmar. And uh, you can move 14 or even 28 if Speed of Ish goes through. So basically, the list is not that hard, was not that hard to build up for me, I think, because it fitted what I wanted to do, what I wanted to play. Uh, the list just offered me so many ways to answer to anything, really that uh, it's really a pleasure to play and it's never the same game. So you talked a little bit about Seraphon as uh, a match that you were worried about, or at least one you were trying to think about, the tools to be able to respond. Were there other armies that you were ex expecting to, to fight against? Did you think that, you know, the the meta would be uh, all about corn and and you know the top armies did you think people were going to bring some surprise armies that kind of like you would catch you off guard like how how did you try to make sense of the meta the global meta because you you have your french meta you have your european meta you have you have the americans the australians you know and everyone in between how do you build a list and how do you even think about that um when you travel over to, to the champs? Hmm. Um, so those are kind of two different questions because the build of the list uh, was actually done in July. I did not touch the list uh, for like four months, uh, just changing an endless spell when, when the Maelstrom went up 20 points, I just changed an endless spell. But other than that, uh, the list pretty much stayed the same because uh, when I build the list, I wanted to handle the maximum amount of matchup. And so the list didn't have to evolve that much. But yeah, I was definitely surprised to see that much Skaven and Sylvaneth. Um, I was a bit surprised also to see no Slanish, but I guess mm. um, Slanish has a, has a problem right now, which is the, the Blizz Barb are a bit too strong and all the rest of the book is a bit, is a bit too... Uh, too bad. Uh, so yeah, the book needs some love here. Um, and yeah, other than that, just the usual su suspects like Soulblight, OBR, Nurgle, Corn, and Seraphon. Uh, that's what I I was expected to face a lot. Uh, oh, I was also a bit surprised by Big War, but it's really good. So not not that surprising. But uh, yeah, Big War has been catching up a lot lately. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. A couple of battle tactics for free at the moment, uh, yeah. certainly. And we'll talk about the actual tournament and your games um, when we get to that point. But you're right, it was fascinating to see Skaven being the second most popular Chaos faction represented. Um, and, you know, you, you, are, you ended up playing Tom Morsley in the final uh, two games, funnily enough, against Skaven as well. Um, 
Did you play him in the game one as well of the knockout? Did you? No, 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 no. Because you, you played Carson. Um, no, you didn't um, play him before. Uh, by the way, Carson, um, your first opponent uh, in the finals, did have something to say to you, and he's asked you, um, "Can he please now move his knoblas?" Uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> it, the, it was actually my, my second opponent, but yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was an interesting game. Uh, he, he did a, a bit of a mistake there, and I I did catch that. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, Tom Guan was your uh, round yeah. six opponent, and then um, uh, Carson. So poor old Carson has like a roll of noblars, had a couple of like his big ogres. I think he had a stone horn behind. You had um, you had stopped his noblas his noblas from moving, and the impact of that one particular ability just absolutely shut him down. I, I, my heart sank a little bit for him, but it was a great play, uh, incredible. Yeah, play. I, I also put overwhelming heat on his uh, on his, on his turn on. So his turn on was moving seven inches, and he was stuck behind that wall of noblas. And yeah, it was a bit disheartening. Yeah. So how do you prepare for a tournament like this? You you mentioned that your list hadn't really changed since July. Tournament was middle of November. How do you prepare? Are you playing multiple games? Are you looking at stats? Like how like get me in the mindset of like how do you understand and prepare mentally and physically for for a tournament like this? Mm, I I don't think I prepare precisely for words. Um Basically, what I've been trying to do for the past four months is to get on the French team because uh, it's it's a rough uh, rough selection right now. So I'm just trying to I was just trying to choose the best army I could pilot and just prove that I I can win tournaments with that. I can I can play good with that i can win against good opponent with that so that was really the focus for me for the past four months so in a way i did not specifically prepare for words but uh, all that uh, preparation for the french team did come in handy because i played i think i, I have the stats here i played uh 72 games in four months so that's that's quite a lot. 70, and yeah. 72 games in four yeah. in four months. Let me, let me just the With that list. Uh, 72 games in four months is 18 games uh, a month, which is uh, 4.5 games a week. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, uh, I'm in tournaments a lot, so that helps because it's five games a, a week. And I have a place to play with friends, so I, I can pretty much play whenever I want. Um, but yeah, yeah, the goal was really to to show that I can be in the French team. Uh, so that was my main goal for for the first part of the year. And uh, yeah, I played a lot um, mentally. I'm not sure I did some specific preparation, but that was always a a strong part of me, I'd say. I've played uh, League of Legends for like eleven years, so mentally you have to you have to be good because if not, you just stop playing, you know. So that kind of teach me mental strength, I'd say. 
and uh, yeah, physically, physically, it was it was really hard. Uh, you know, after the after the third day, I played four games in that day. I haven't eaten all day. I finished playing against Ronya at like. 11 30 p.m. 30, yeah. 11 30. Uh, I, I was counting because if you didn't end soon, I was going to bed. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and after that, I just went to grab a bite and just went to bed at like noon and a half. And after that, I couldn't sleep for two hours because my legs were, were hurting a lot. Uh, I think that was the, the hardest was. I was I was not used to being uh, stand up that that long, and yeah, physically it was really hard. But I mean, the the mental just can keep you uh, to the end. I think, especially with an army as intricate as Lumineth, and I, I remember when Tom and I were Tom Megs and I were talking about um, Megan's. By the way. Um, I'm just, as an Australian, we shorten everything. So I just like, he's just Tom Meggs. Um, but I, I remember when we did the list preview and we're talking about the meta, um, Tom had asked me, who's your pick? And I had said one of the, the armies that were list techie um, had the potential to win, but it was about the fortitude and being able to have the durance endurance to play up to 12 games and i think that's a testament to yourself given that lumineth is one of the harder armies in the game because of the amount of rules and interactions and the complexity especially in the hero phase and then to do it for so long you know is an absolute testament um i, I do want to ask you about your um playing such a long event but one thing that I imagine really helped you was the French community. I was so impressed with the, the as I mentioned earlier, the camaraderie, the friendships, the uh, the team bonding of you all wore the same shirt, you were in a uniform, um, you were all kind of coming together, you were all celebrating, there's a lot of great support. Um, having the French War Game Studio as well, um, who are obviously a stream partner as well, that must have been cool playing um, on your home stream to your countrymen. Uh, I'm sure your coach was very proud and was able to dissect um, some of the things that you can obviously improve your game on, but I imagine um, super proud and super excited to to watch all these games unfold. Yeah, the the French community as a whole was incredible because uh, there there were the people that were that were in the event, which were really great. Also, really thanks to my friend Martin that helped me a lot for certain matchups. He's a really great Skaven player, maybe one of the best in the world, and he helped me prepare for. The last two games, um, and everybody there was really supportive, and that helped a lot. But also the French community from abroad, because uh, I started getting messages uh, from everybody, from people that I know, from people that I don't know. Also, uh, this was really great, and the French stream was doing such an awesome job. Um, it kind of felt like playing at home, you know? And I think in the last two games, it was, it helped me a lot. And I, I hope it did not uh, had too much impact on Tom because French can be really loud. Uh, so I think, I, if I, any, I, I think if anyone, it was probably the Ronya game. 
Um, that oh, for yeah. me, like, like everyone was super close, hugging the table. At least with the the final games, like I had barricaded it off to give. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah got, I, I barricaded and pushed you pushed people further back than they ever had uh, over the weekend. But when with the Ronya game, um, you everyone was like really hugging the table. It was the only game, uh, as we mentioned, it was you know played up until midnight. Um, and everyone was super excited to see the game and watching this um, Lumineth versus Soul Black Gravelords unfolding and um, wizards dying and popping and exploding. Um, yeah. It's a very, very fascinating, wonderful game. But I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think anyone um, was excited to be a part of it. I wouldn't call the French yeah, too so. disruptive. Probably, probably no different to anyone else. To be fair, but um, I don't think it's so bad. But you did raise a point that one of my questions from Skaven Spawn did talk about, and that was, um, how did you research your opponents and their play style? Um, you, you mentioned Martin, your friend, who, and, and I mean, we, we all strategize, we all strategize and we try to work out lists and think about how we played them on the battle plan and what we want to do with our lists. Like, how did you? How did you try to tackle this? Is it like is there anything in particular you you focused on? Um, was it just more about your list? Like, t tell me more about that process. Yeah. Um, so I did not re research opponent particularly because, um, well, pretty much it's it's a lot of time uh, and uh, you only face twelve uh, opponents at, at, at maximum. And you would have to research 88, which is kind of a lot. And also, uh, when I play my list, I try to make the game about my list and not about the opponent, which is kind of an easy, easier way to play. Um, it's it, it's it's easier because uh, you you want to force your opponent to play your game and not the other way around. But I think everybody tries to do that. Um, it's not that easy in practice. Um, but also, I have uh, I have a lot of games on my list, so I know a lot of matchups by heart, uh, like Corn, Corn, uh, Nurgle, OBR, and SB, uh, Soulblight, and Seraphon. I know those matchups. I don't really need to do some research on those. Um, but we did. Uh, take a look at the list to, uh, during the flight uh, going to the event, um, to some lists uh, at least. So the the Skaven ones because they they were a bit tricky. Um, but some others I don't recall right now. But yeah, I, I do when I go to an event like that. The usual matchups I don't really care too much because I know those. Uh, I focus more on the particular list and try to see is that list really that good and we just didn't see it or uh, is is it just weird and there is nothing really there is just a player preference or um, so basically yeah what can I do against that list and it's not that hard to to anticipate because I know my my list very well I know them a lot of matchups very well and you can pretty much uh, anticipate the matchup from others usually because uh, of similarities between lists and or between armies um yeah i i think that that's it just focus 
the the first uh, advice that I would say is just focus on yourself first. Um, build a that's my way to play it at least. Build a list that has a lot of possibilities, that has uh, a lot of outcome, and when you have that, you you can pretty much score and and just do well against anything. When I'm when I'm doing my coaching um, with with various people, and you know, one of the things that I see often is when an opponent or when a player uh, suffers a loss, or maybe they they suffer a series of losses at a tournament. One of the first things they always do is they try to change their list so quickly. They're like, oh, you know, my, I didn't do very well against corn, so I'm going to change all my list to to be able to respond to corn. But then they go up against um, gits. And they lose to gits, and then they're pulled to gits, and they're constantly trying to respond to to the meta. I think you've raised a couple of good points. One, it's about focusing on yourself first. Don't always try to adapt to your opponent, um, because you're more likely to make mistakes if you are trying to do things that are unusual to yourself. Um, the second part is the repetitions, right? And this is where it becomes important that if you are going to go to a tournament and let's say Seraphon is the, the big bad right now, go into Seraphon. Um, try to play a couple of Seraphon games. If you're playing with your friend at a, a local game store, you know, you could play one or two rounds and then re-rack where you restart yeah. and, um, you know, try some different deployments. Try going first or going second. And through those experiences, when you come to a tournament, I think to, to Nicola's point, you've already got the experience and the repetition down pack. So making decisions on uh, on the spot is a lot easier than um, coming up against an opponent. You have no experience with Skaven because you haven't practiced against it. So you don't know. And then you, where you usually castle, you spread out more or, you know, you castle up and you, you make the wrong decision from, from deployment sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly it. I, I, I mean, it, a lot of people, as you say, just after all else, just, ah, oh, my, list, my list isn't great. I cannot play against that. It, it is definitely a possibility that you did make made a mistake with your list, but um, it's really a lot, uh, not easier, but um, productive to just always reflect on yourself. And um, if you work on your on your game, on how you react in the game, uh, it's always going to be more productive for you than just changing your list around and around because you're not going to really learn anything by just playing a different list every day, I think. Few people can just perform on a lot of different lists at any time. Um, there, there is some people that can, but not a lot. Uh, most of us just have to play a lot the list and just know the matchups and learn how to play the list properly. Yeah, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And that's always my advice. And I'll, I'll often even talk to people, and um, I do this often as well when I go to my one-day tournaments at, you know, a game store, is I will practice situations where I lose a critical piece or I don't cast a spell. Or let's say, for example, Hoarfrost. We know how good Hoarfrost is. What happens if my unit of, I don't know, Bulgors or my Gits don't have those the, the Hoarfrost? 
you know, what is the expected damage? How survivable are they if they don't have Mystic Shield and all that defense? And and it's testing through those situations that I know that if I come against Lumineth, for example, and I can't get my guaranteed Mystic Shield off because you have a superior cast, then I, I have a better experience and I have a reference point of what I can and can't do. And um, again, you, you get a better way to anticipate and read the game because you've had the bad situations, not just when everything is perfect for you. Yeah. Speaking of things that maybe weren't perfect, or maybe uh, I'd love your thoughts on this, but one of the most decisive decisions at the World Championships was that the uh, the we did not run chess clocks. So, yeah. um, and it seemed like some people were happy with that. They they couldn't care less because they were well practiced and they thought they get their games through three three hours anyway. Some people were up in roars and and thought it was the the sky was falling because there was no chess clocks. Um, how do you feel about tournaments and chess clocks and the the lack of uh, table decorations um, at the World Championships? Um, in France, we always play with chess clocks. Um, and I think every opponent that I that I had uh, would have been okay playing with chess clocks. Um, and for the final, uh, I, I asked uh, if we could play with chess clock and we couldn't. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Tom would have wanted also to play with it. With, with it. Um, would the event have been better with clocks? Probably. Um, <clears throat> but I also understand why Games Workshop doesn't want to play with it. It doesn't feel really friendly. It really feels like a sport more than a hobby, maybe. But um, because in the final, uh, after the first game, I think it was Tom, Tom Megan's that was that was asking me, how was it possible to contain the time of the last game uh, without clocks? And I was like, you cannot really do it fairly without clocks because. Even in the Euro phase, there is a lot of interaction between each other. Uh, when I cast a spell, uh, my opponent has to think, does he want to, to unbind that? And it's, it's really a critical decision because I have, as I said, I have 10 really important spells. And uh, the, um, the reflection is not on what spell to unbind because you, you can try to say, yeah, but you, you say, you, you know at the start what spell to unbind. No, no, no. It depends on the cast rules. It, dep it depends on the primal dice that he has at his disposal. It depends on uh, the range. It depends on a lot of things. So playing without clocks with time round doesn't really make sense. Um, and just a quick note on the on the final because I heard a lot of people saying it was taking too long, etc. And I do agree it was taking too long. Uh, but just to remind people, it was a final game of a World Championship event, so a lot of a lot of uh, was at stake there. And it doesn't excuse the time was that we took. But uh, when you don't see the clock, you don't realize the, the time. You know. Uh, when I was in it, I didn't realize at all that it was four hours, you know, and you lose sense of time without clocks. We, we were trying 
I, I'm pretty sure both of us were trying to play as fast as we could, but those were two technical lists going against each other without any conscious of the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure if we played with clocks, we could have done the game within range. But uh, not having the time uh, on the side of the table, uh, I mean, I'm sorry for the people that had to leave early because of us that didn't and I didn't see the, the award ceremony. It was definitely not our goal to play slow. Um, but yeah, there, there is not so much that, that you can do to counter that. And I think we both would have preferred to have clocks there. Yeah, and, and I'm not blaming you at all. And, and just for clarity for people who weren't at the event, um, Nicola mentioned earlier that in day three, where you played four games, uh, you basically had no break. And basically the, the structure that we had was everyone had three hours of game time. Uh, in between every game, there was a one hour break. And um, the because there was no chess clocks and the principles of the tournament was that the games would come to a natural conclusion or as best as possible, um, that meant that people could bleed into those breaks um, to a degree. Obviously, we have to cut the round at a particular time to draw the next round and then set up tables. but. There was there was games that could go 30 minutes to 40 minutes and you know you, you then cut it there you draw the round and then you're literally playing the next game and um that was happening not just on the top tables but in fact all of the tables and you know you might make an assumption well you know all these players know their armies really well they're some of the best players how come they can't finish a game in three hours well the interesting piece that nicola just mentioned was the fact that when you are playing a, a tough game every every game, every decision is important. So there's a higher element of strategy and counterplay that needs to be factored into the decision-making, which is why, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the World Teams tournaments are four-hour rounds. So you do have more time to strategize, more time to think those, those decisions. And I think... Uh, as a tournament organizer, one of the things that we'll need to reflect on is how do we balance time? Because one of my concerns throughout the game, and you might remember, might not remember, but I was running water to you guys constantly. I was trying to find ways to feed you. And, you know, because I know some of you went back to back to back to back and um, it's tough, but how do we find a balance? And if chess clocks aren't going to be a thing and it's a directive, like what else can we do? And it's a really interesting question that over the next 12 months we'll need to work out. Does the rounds need to be four hours? Do we like like what else can we do? Because it wasn't just you. There was a there's probably a lot of players who uh, exceeded the rounds. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. Uh, what people need to understand there is that it's like playing a four or five game at any regular event, but every game and when the game is really tight, uh, you, you you really the game goes a bit longer, um, and when you have no clocks, you you lose seconds just uh, rethinking things that you wouldn't have rethought. Uh, you lose seconds here and there because you don't see the, the time going going away, and um, I think it's pretty natural. Um, and I, 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 I'm not sure we could have made a lot better without chess clocks because when when there is two good players facing against each other, uh, you don't end the game after round two. 
it's not it's not an option because wh when you go to a regular events, most of the time you your first three games uh, don't go to round five. That's why uh, at regular events you have time between games. Uh, you can talk and everything going through this, um, to to schedule because uh, a lot of games are just just ends at round three or maybe round four, but uh, they end early. And that's why uh, at regular events you can do that. But at that event, um, I think I, I I don't know how how the other player uh, ended up doing, but. For me, every game was played uh, until the end of turn five, and I have only one, uh, one or two games that were not that were decided before that before the round, round five, and yeah, I don't think you can do pretty much better without clocks. Maybe add add a day of, on the event to allow the top eight to have less game in a day, probably. Yeah, we, we we as a group have to to reflect and take on all the feedback, and especially if the especially if this grows, and I imagine this is only going to grow next year as more either tournaments who didn't apply for a golden ticket now want to get a ticket, or uh, tournaments like me, for example, who only asked for one are now going to ask for two, and if yeah. everyone does that, you've now immediately just doubled your your tournament at attendance, right? So this some. Yeah. some well, I mean, hopefully, like have a three hundred player, two hundred player, best of the best. That would be absolutely crazy. Yeah. But let's let's talk about the day, okay? So we, we talk yeah. chess clocks. I think yeah. we all in agreement that in the ideal world we'd have chess clocks. Who knows? Next year, next general's handbook might come with a chess clock which has a uh, an art print of your favorite faction, yeah. and you can paint that, and it's another way to boost the profits. I don't know. Um, but like, I think we all agree that, you know, um, if chess clocks were uh, applicable, we'd probably use it, but if we're not going to use them, what can we possibly do to manage time better? Yeah. Um, reflection point there. What were some of the armies that you were hoping to face or maybe even hoping not to face? Like I'm looking at your, uh, I won't spoil Christmas to everyone just yet, but, um, was there any particular armies that you wanted to face or you didn't want to face in in the tournament um yeah as i said i pretty much built my list to be able to face anything but there is some factions that is that are just really hard for luminous no goal is the first one no goal is um my worst matchup by far even worse than Myriad. um Nurgle, basically, I cannot damage the person in our, the, the 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 units because he heals D3 every turn. So I have a lot of cheap damage that do not go through, and the beasts just uh, are just the best way to deal with my units. So Dawn Riders and Wardens, the the beasts on Nurgle are just natural counter to that because there's a lot of mortals. Um, and the the disease also uh, is just a natural counter to my list. I have 83 wounds on my list, which is not mm -hmm. a lot. So uh, every wound every wound counts when you play that list. And the disease just yeah, uh, Nurgle is just really hard to play. Uh, other than that, Null Myriad is obviously hard, but it's it's really all of OBR that is that is hard. Nurmiad is a, a bit harder 
but uh, it's really OBR because uh, the faction heals a lot, and it's a bit of the same as, as Nurgle. Uh, a faction that heals things is, is hard for me to deal with because I like to apply some damage to everything. And basically, against OBR, if you if you kill, imagine you kill a, um, a Death Rider model, it's just going to bring back to the front of his units, so you just gave him two inches. So you, you cannot damage uh, OBR unless you're killing the unit. Because if not, you're just giving him movement. And uh, yeah, all of OBR is really hard for, for that list to face. Nurmiard is harder because you, if the player plays well, you cannot really uh, blizzard uh, the, um, the units, which is hard because it's a good part of my output. Uh, and corn, corn is a really interesting, not interesting, but it's a really random matchup because it, it, you have some key spells on Lumineth, and if he does the five up, you're pretty much screwed, and if he doesn't, you win the game. So it's really random, and I had a play, I had a game against Noah, which was playing corn, and he did, I think, zero five ups. Uh, on the, on his old games, and uh, I threw like ten spells on him. Not too much because I don't want to to give him blood tide. But I, I threw, I think, during the game, at least ten spells, and he did not do one five up. And wow. I end up winning that game because, yeah, if you if you don't do the five up, I have really powerful spells. So, yeah, corn is a bit is a bit random. It's it's not a matchup that I like because yeah, it's really random. So your path to victory, by the way, so I'll just, I'll talk through a little bit about your path and then I'd love to hear, was there any great moments like the one that the poor old uh, Noah Singh not hitting any five ups and obviously Carlson's uh, poor old Noblars and uh, the Frost Lord on Stonehorn. And you can, you can tell me more about some of the funny stories or the moments that you remember. So first game was against Kyle Clapp, I think it is, Clapp. Um, uh, Osiak Bone Reapers, the, the army you didn't want to fight. Game one, uh, you yep. won that 25 to 23. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, he was running Mortis Praetorian also. So I basically faced three OBR, Nurmiayad, Mortis Praetorian, and Crematorian. Don't ruin Christmas. Let me let me talk through all of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, right, yeah, You've played, yeah, you played, you played OBR a couple of times. So yeah. game two was against uh, Noah Singh, as we just mentioned, Blades yeah. of Corn. You won 24 to 13. Uh, game three was against Benjamin Hoskins, um, did a Slaves to Darkness video with me and uh, played Slaves to Darkness, won. You won 32 to 16. Then day day two was a great one for you. Uh, so you play uh, Ryan Rutherford um, with his Big War. You defeated Big War nineteen to seventeen, and then immediately went into another Big War against Benji, um, where you uh, won twenty five to twenty two. So you had a back to back Big War experience. That was the end of the, the traditional tournament. The, the was cut to a top eight. You ended in the top two of your bracket. There were four brackets. The top eight go out and, and play, a, I guess, a final series. Um, 
Then round six, the first of the, the knockout series, you come up against Tom Guan and you suffer your first loss. So Tom Guan in his Ossiak Bone Reapers defeated you 26 to 14. You then played Carson uh, Whitlock from, from Canada. You defeated Carson 21 to 15. You then played uh, Christopher um, uh, Carlsmores um, with Ossiak Bone Reapers for round eight. Then you went into, and, and BCP cuts me off here because I think of the weird cutoff, but then you played uh, Big Phil from uh, England. Uh, I you... played Ronya after that. Oh, of course, of course, the Ronya game. Ronya, Ronya yep. was the was the, the game four of that day. Yep. Uh, Ronya's Ossiak, but I, I saw Black Grave Lords. Then you played Big Phil, uh, Phil, yep. Phil uh, and then you Ooh, played yeah. Tom Morsley, Tom Morsley. Yep, thank you, exactly. Crazy. And I, I don't have the scores in front of me because BCP doesn't seem to show that to me. But uh, just because obviously the tournament is a bit weird. But you uh, you you beat Phil. You lost your first game against Tom Morsley. I don't know. No, did you? No, did Tom lose the first game? No, no. T Tom I mean, Mosley uh, went on to the fight to the final uh, undefeated. Okay, so when you played Tom Mosley the first time, who won that game? Was that Tom or you? The the first final. The the first the first game against Tom. So you must have won that one, right? Because yeah, because yeah, yeah. you, you, you had you had already suffered had a to. loss against yeah, because yeah, yeah. you suffered a loss against uh, Tom Guan. So if you exactly. lost that first game, you were out. But because yeah. you beat Tom, uh, it then made the last game sudden death. So. Um, Whoever won that game would also be crown champion, right? Yep. Crazy, crazy. 12 games of Warhammer. Um, do you remember any of other highlights? So you talked a little bit already about Carson. You've already talked a little bit about um, poor old Noah Singh. Um, any other highlights or things that kind of stood out to you either as a, a amazing moment for you or your opponent, uh a moment that you might have hugged your opponent because they just couldn't roll a six or a one to save their life like tell me more about some of the stories that you might recall and it was a big weekend yeah the, there have been numbers of plays with darkness of the soul i think people have forgotten about that spell uh basically for for everybody it's a spell that forces the opponent to do a test a bravery check so I, I I'm rolling two dice. If I'm if I'm doing above his bravery, he cannot move, he cannot charge, he cannot fight, he cannot. Basically, it's a small beta core, and I have two iterations of that spell, almost the same spell, one with Stickless, one with the Cathalor. And a lot of the time, I think just people forgot about that because uh, against Noah, I blocked almost his entire army by doing that spell on Blood Warriors. Um, and he realized that because we were on frigid zephyr and he could not fly with his blood with his bloodthirster and he could not move past his terrain or, or past his blood warriors which was uh a bit i mean it was like uh, the game against carson and same thing happened against tom mosley at the in the first final because i i just said that bell cannot move that bell cannot move and that bell is half moved so now your army is all stuck behind uh and yeah i think people uh really forgot about that spell and ended up blocking their army so that was a bit 
a bit of a highlight for me, but the the moment that I will remember for a long time was against Ryan Rutherford, um, because that game was won on the last dice roll possible. And if that if that dice roll was a five up, Ryan would have won the game. And if not, I I I won and he made a three. So what happens there is that. I've, I thought I, 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 uh, I, I had lost the game at that point. The only way I could have won the game was if I could do Magical Dominance with two spells from Techless. So two spells at 12. Uh, so I, I got lucky there because I think there was only one Primal and it could not unbind my, uh, my 12 spell. And after that, I would have uh, I had to kill his General which was at a corner with uh, Eltharion teleporting with my first spell, Tekli spe Speed of Vish, so going uh, outside of eight with my second uh, spell, and a unit of Blade Lords ended up at nine, too. So I had basically two nine inch charge and one eight inch charge uh, with one reroll, uh, plus the shooting to try to damage the, to try to kill his general. And I think with the shooting, I did. Three damage with uh, Teclis and Eltharion. After that, I uh, I failed my charge with the Blade Lords. I failed my charge with Eltharion. I did it with Teclis. I uh, I just tried to stomp on him, and I did two damage. There was there was one uh, one wound left on the on the on the hero, and I did the attack from Teclis. I missed everything except one. They, one attack uh, from Selenor that went through. He was at plus two, so he had the five save to to do to save his life and win the game, and he did a three. But it was kind of an insane game because at that point, if he if he made a five, he would have won the game. That's uh, that's crazy. The other one that I'm gonna I'm gonna personally call out, and maybe you can explain it a little better than I I can is the game against Ronya and uh, all the wizards exploding yeah. and then causing more wizards to explode. And um, uh, it was late in the, in, the, in the weekend. So I'm kind of happy when we use that battle plan, it happened that time and not like, you know, game three or something. But it was, um, I, I, my heart felt for Ronya, but it was so much fun watching it. As a destruction player, I just want to see things die. I want to th see things blow up. And uh, it really did sing to me. Yeah, that game was insane because um, Dice Throw were uh, my way at the end of the game and her way at the start because basically she, she unbound two Merciless Blizzards for the first two turns. For instance, and the the pendulum that did always the one on the target uh, at the start, but at the end of the game, dice roll were only for me because I think at what point she put uh, ten grave guards on the castler and made me do one save yeah. with ten grave guards. It, it was insane, and the the blow up thing. Uh, was also crazy because everything was everything was dying, and I, I really I really feared that my Cathara would die. But thankfully, my Caligrave did not explode and stopped the chain reaction of that. But it was crazy because the Lokava died, uh, Manfred died to okay. that, my Caligrave my Caligrave died to that, and basic basically 
pretty much everything started to explode there. Uh, it, it was it was a great game, but also a, a quite a random one. Yeah, it was very random, and I was hoping the Calligrave would explode as well because I just wanted to keep <laughs> seeing. Uh, I, I wanted to see all the explosions, but yeah. I, I I was just watching and I was there for a good time. But that was a crazy game because. Uh, it wasn't long ago that people were telling me, like I was talking to one of the Mega Garga players, um, that I think it might have been Chris, uh, maybe. They were talking about how, like, was it ten, maybe 10 Grave Guard or maybe it was 20 Grave Guard had basically deleted King Brod in King Brod Stomp, or at least got him down to like 35 wounds taken, which is a huge amount of damage. And then, yes, I was watching Ronya with the Grave Guard and they just did nothing. Like, I, I couldn't believe. Um, some of those dice rolls, but that's the game, right? Like you, yeah. you, you, you can't expect them all, but that was a, a big anomaly that you're like, no, you should have done more than that. You, you just have oh, to yeah. accept the you have to accept the dice gods for for their punishment when when they punish you. Yeah, the Cathalar should have died there, hundred percent. Something that I found really fascinating, and um, most people listening to this haven't had the pleasure to have this. I certainly have. Um, was playing on stream. And uh, I think you might have played on the stream multiple times. Um, obviously, your, your final games against Tom. I think you played maybe at least one other game on stream, if not you know, a handful. Um, I Carlson? Played, uh, was it Carlson I, game on stream? Yeah, I, I played a lot of games because I played my last uh, game from Pod uh, on stream. I mm. played uh, the the. The first two games on my third day, and the three games on my fourth. So I played six games on stream, I think. It's a lot. Um, and Games Workshop was streaming, and I had two tables. I, often they have 140k, one Sigma, and then French Wargaming Studio would have two tables. And sometimes they'd have an Age of Sigma game and a 40k game, or it depended on the round. But my question to you is um, how does playing on stream? change your game now let me let me put a preface here right and why this this might change is um when you have the world watching your game everything needs to be deliberate um you know making that little bit of an extra move when you weren't intentionally you were just trying to speed things up um you know you don't want to be called a cheater you don't want to to make an accidental move or um you know you have people uh, hopefully not disruptive but the commentators in order to be able to tell the chat and tell the community what's going on in the game may often come to you and say what's the update what's happened and try to understand the game so they can tell the story on stream which can at times be disruptive um we try not to as best as possible but um there's there's things that are happening outside of your normal game how does playing on stream change your experience do you find that the game is slower do you find that you have to be more precise and deliberate to avoid cheating or be, being called the cheater or you know accidentally cheating or is there any impacts for for, for playing on stream mm. Uh, for me, it does not really have a huge impact because the way I play on stream is the way I play every time. I try to play by intent, which is the goal for everybody. And uh, also uh, what helped a lot is for the last, I think, three or four, four games, we had judges at our table at all time. So it was really easier to just 
play uh, what we wanted by intent because we had some judges to be sure that we weren't doing anything crazy or that our movement was possible. Uh, but in any case, uh, when I'm when I'm using the the max capacity the max movement capacity of a unit, I always put sticks down on the table and i always ask my opponent this is what this is where my, i want my unit to be do you do you agree that my unit can be there if he says so i just move the unit there if not we're just measuring together to be sure that everything can go there before moving anything and i think that's the way you should play the game anyway because th there is there can be a lot of bad feelings if uh you do a movement the opponent doesn't really see it and afterwards is like but did you have the, the 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 movement to go there and everybody feels like yeah i i think so but yeah you just you just have to check with the opponents before moving things because it, it's a game of precision uh sometimes decided by half an inch or even even less so um yeah just a, a, a lot of the time, people just use their tape measure uh, on top of the um, on top of the board, just like ten centimeter above the um, the model, and that doesn't work for precise movement. If if you if you want to if you're using that just to move half the movement the unit can, I don't care. You can do it, but if you want to move the max amount of movement from your unit, just put a stick down because. Um, if you have your your tape measure 10 centimeter above the board you're just gonna have a parallax uh effect and you you're just gonna move like maybe a half an inch more and games have been decided by half an inch so just put your sticks down on the, on the table it's the most precise way to do it and everybody will be happy your opponent will be able to see the the measure and will agree with you that this unit can go there and uh, this unit is at uh that amount of inches from that unit that's the intent and yeah that's just i think that's just a way to play the game um so no going on stream does not really affect me um just you you have to update the the score and the cps for everybody uh to see uh and i'm thankful for tom i think it was tom that did it or gareth there was there was there was, there was either uh, gareth uh tom or uh, james so yeah i was uh, i was often like i was often like supporting the rest of the tournament um yep. while to tom and, and gareth really wanted to sit at the top tables and yeah uh, and i was, they I was happy for them to do that they updated the score, the the CPs, the, the tactics on the on the tablet for everybody on the stream to see, and thank thank them for that because just uh, thinking about your game and thinking about updating that tablet is not something I really do. I know a lot of people use the the application to enter the score. Uh, that's not how I do it. I have physical a counter to count the points and etc et and i'm used to that but i'm not used to using the application to do that so uh yeah that was really helpful that somebody else did that cool and by the way i just want to clarify uh by no means am i calling anyone a cheater on stream yeah. but but one of the things that i find and we talked about time right we already talked about games going over time 
one way that we find efficiencies in the game is by making fast movements. So for example, if I'm running 30 squigs, um, do I individually measure 30 squigs, their, 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 their movement, or do I try to find assumptions and, and movements and the tape measure that you know Nicola has already mentioned, a lot of people will try to find the efficiencies by using the tape measure to to speed things up or even at a pile-in. Are we, are we actually precisely measuring a pile-in for each individual model or are we just like making assumptions? And to your point, it, it can be the difference, you know, that one extra attack that maybe you should have got in or that, that extra half an inch or an inch adds up to a successful charge where maybe you shouldn't have so... Um, tokens and uh, measuring sticks and aids and things like that are incredibly important. Actually, something that I've started using of late, um, I think you might have used it as well, or I saw some people using it, is bringing uh, blank bases. So uh, if you're thinking about, let's yeah. say, for example, moving techless and like can techless move in this space or, um, you know, you're flying Stonehorn on, on the charge, Monstrous Rampage, you know, by having a blank base, you can um, measure and see if you can make that move without actually disrupting the game and moving your well, nice painted techless from where it's positioned. You can measure and then make the move once it's confirmed. So um, tools and resources, you see them at the top tables and, and, and the World Championships um, were fascinating and, um, and and great to see so many people. I saw somebody had like a, a, like a wristband made up of battle tactics, like had their, all their battle tactics on like a, like a cheat sheet almost, like they were trying to cheat for um, a university test. But, um, yeah, it was great. It was so fun to see different, how people um, – uh, the tools and the accessories they brought to their their tournament. Yeah, absolutely. The the tools are really key to upping your game. Uh, for instance, the techless base I could not play without it because usually you want to put techless at some place, and putting the base there just ensures you that when you move all your other units around, you can because is not there so you can go through that space but you do not end up in that space and if you do not have a base there it's going to be a nightmare to measure that to be sure that yeah Teclis can still fit in there uh, because you don't want to move him first because it's important that your units that do not have fly can go through that space and having that that base is is key you you have to have it you cannot play without that yeah, it's a, it's a really good thing. I, I started using it when I was playing with my Mega Gargans because, you know, being able to move over terrain or um, they're such a large base size, you know, can I move into certain spots? Um, it's, it's hard to gauge. It is actually hard to gauge how you can move and stay outside of three or get into certain areas. So uh, blank bases, highly, highly recommend, especially for big models. Your, your flying yeah. models, your, you know, not, not your 25 mils, but like, you know, your... Yeah, yeah. For smaller bases, you don't care. You can pick what uh, you can pick a, a model that is that has died, or a model that is at a place that is not really important, just to to use it. But yeah, for techlists, you have to have it. Yeah, monster monster bases and things like that. Um, anything else you'd mention about your your games? Obviously, we could go into such great detail, you know. And and each of these games would have been incredibly fascinating. How, how did you find the battle plans? Because we at tournaments you often find like of this ghb of the 12 battle plans there's like five to seven of them that will traditionally see play throughout the weekend like there's a, a pretty stock standard tournament list 
So we played some games that we don't, uh, battle plans that we don't normally see um, at tournaments or not very often. Um, how did you how did you find the battle plans and um, any any commentary on that? Yeah, fun fact: um, the only players that played the whole twelve battle plans because I played twelve games, so I played yeah. the, the whole the whole GHB. Um, and uh, I mean, the battle plans I'd say are uh, right now the best they've ever been, but there are still some that are less interesting than others, like towers. I don't really like it uh, because it doesn't really matter. You, you've already, I, I'm not sure. Well, it, it happened, but usually most of the time, who controls what towers is not really a deciding factor of the game. Um, I would have probably preferred something that happened every turn rather than at the end of the game, because so many games at lower level, at least, uh, end up with someone being tabled and point at the end of the game doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, in in general, the the battle plans are really better and better each iteration of GHB. And in that in that case, I think that's their best work for so far. Um, and uh, my list is already made to, to be able to handle every battle plan. Like I have uh, Endarian Locus for um, Power Flux, which uh, has become Andy for the last game. Um, and if you don't have one, you, you can pretty much just lose the game by, by not having one. Uh, so it's really dicey going to an event when you don't know if Power Flux is in play uh, and you don't bring an Andorian Locus there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, globally, uh, my army is okay playing on all battle plans, but there are some... Basically, it's a, it's a secondary scoring army. Uh, every game, I'm, I'm doing all my tactics and my grand strategy if I play normally. Um, so having battle plans where you can score um, more primary, like Pulse, is a bit uh, tricky for me to play, especially uh, because um, you think uh, Pulse is a four-objective uh, battle plan, but it's, just, it's really a one-objective battle plan, a one that moves. And some army like OBR or uh, uh, Sons of Behemoth, you just, uh, I, I cannot get that po those points, you know. Mm. And uh, yes, some battle plans can be rough, but you, you have to adapt and try to do your best. And my list has the best toolbox in the game for that. So I always have an option, even sometimes a bad one. I think this comes down to, again, what you said right, right at the start, which was committing to your army which is lumineth and knowing as as far back as july and getting repetition in because you know take a step back from the world championships if i'm going to a tournament and they don't announce the battle plan so we didn't actually announce the battle plans until like like very late um it's hard to know and tailor and build a list that can handle all 18 battle plans 
against all 27 factions, against all of the various builds of popularity, whether it's the Null Myriad or Crematorian and OBR, in the double shooting 4 plus KO versus traditional KO. And like there's so many different builds and you can get into a point of uh, analysis paralysis where you're just tr being trying to do everything to everyone, focus on your list, focus on your army, get good at what you know, and try to make your opponent make mistakes because you are so intimate with your army and you have a, a plenty of experiences against the factions and the battle plan. So that's really the lesson here, folks, that I'd be calling out from this particular moment. It's less about your opponent. It's more about you and the decisions that you make. Um, give away priority if you get the chance and see what you do if you get double turned. Um, you know, I, I just try different things and understand how your army plays. You will be a better player for it. Yeah, also, and a lot of the time, giving away the priority is a move. It's actually probably, that's actually my default position. Um, Give, giving away and not winning priority is how I think about the game. And then if I win it, that's a bonus. And if I take it, then and then it's up to me. But if I don't win it, it doesn't matter. I was never expecting to win it. I'd set myself up where I'm prepared not to win it. Yeah. And I'm not relying on the win in order to keep me in the game. And um, I think too many people over-assume they're going to win priority. And then when it doesn't happen... They, they don't know what to do because they're like, oh, I thought I was going to win it. I really need it because I was going to do this, 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 and this. Yeah, definitely. All right. I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid-fire questions about Lumineth, and then I want a couple of questions on reflecting of the event. So are you ready for this? You've already given yeah. me some good stuff about Lumineth, but your, your, um, your big-hatted friends have some questions. Sure. All right. Imrik asking uh, like that. Hi, Elf, Prince Imrik. Uh, shout out to some OG there. How do you find techless play in the primal season? I think you've already explained this a little bit. Anything you'd want to add to that? Like techless, we're finding you, you, you at least find is, is quite good and you're quite happy with yeah. the utility um, of techless. Just to sum up, uh, defensively is the best. Uh, you cannot, you cannot suffer blizzard. You have the, the four plus, uh, ignore spell, the auto unbind, uh, offensively. You, 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 most of the time I'm casting four spells because the, the goal is to drown my opponent with important spells. Um, and he has to choose on which one he has to spend his primal. Uh, it's still a really expensive piece. So you have to exploit everything in his kit. And I mean everything. So you have to, to get him into combat. You have to make him use his monster storm page, which is probably the best part of his kit. And you also have a lot of the time to make him tank. He has 16 wounds, so you can make him tank 15 wounds before he dies. And you have to use that because you have 83 wounds on the board. You cannot, uh, you, you have to use his wounds. So you really have to use the whole model there because seven and 740 points is quite a lot. And he is really expensive. I felt like it could be 20 points cheaper, but I think that's not going to happen now. But, uh, it's a great piece. It's, a, it's the best toolbox in the game. I think one thing that I noticed that you do with Techless that I don't see happen very often is that most people protect Techless. They hide him and, and they don't want to get into combat. And combat is a last resort. Where I actually saw you, 
not use him aggressively like a more crusher, but you were willing to get him into combat. You were willing to get into the fight. And I could see how you were extracting as much value from Teclas, given his his 740-point value. Um, I think that's what, that's what really helped. Like, you've got to get him into the game and you've got to get him fighting because otherwise, you know, don't want to throw it away, but um, don't be scared to, to pick your battles and um, help contribute to, to the fight. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, it's just a, a 740-point force spell wizard. It's it's not that that great. Even even if you guarantee to 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 cast those spells, it's not that great to cast four spells for that amount of points. The other question from Imric, which is an interesting one, is um, what led you to choose uh, Speed of Hish on all of your Dawn Rider units? So you had three Dawn Rider units, and all three had Speed of Hish. Um, Speed of Hish is one of the best spells in the game period just uh having the ability to go somewhere on the map pretty much anywhere when you have 14 movement bays uh is really great and also ease of ease of execution because every unit is the same i don't have to think about what unit knows what spell uh ease of execution on one of the best spell in the game just that it's a lot of redundancy and you can just pick the right unit that needs a spell at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Redundancy is key there, but yeah, Speed of Fish is one of the best spells in the game. You have to have it because without that, Altharian is not doing so much work and you can bring back a unit of Downrider that, ha that has gone to a far objective. Uh, but also, yeah, do not uh, underestimate ease of, the ease of execution. If you have uh, a different spell there on the Dawn Rider unit, your game is even longer to execute. You have to think about what you need to put where. All units are the same. All units are interchangeable. You don't have to think about it. Skaven Spawn uh, asking two questions we've kind of already acknowledged. So French Arthur and Skaven Spawn asking similar questions around um, did you have trouble, you know, what were the armies that you struggled with the most? And you've already acknowledged um, Nurgle, you've said Korn, you've said a little bit of Null Myriad. Uh, that, that were they the types of armies that you struggled with? And, um, and you also mentioned Big War um, as one that kind of caught you off a little bit. Yeah, um, the problem with Big War is uh, my army is a secondary scoring army. So battle tactics and grand strategy, and Big War is a better one at that. It's e e e the battle tactics in Big War are easier, and his grand strategy is somewhat easier, or at least on the same level. So, uh, and he has much more fighting power than me. Um, it, it really depends if the Big War player has Gobsfrack, because Gobsfrack really, really it's really good against my list because if I cast a spell with a Dawn Rider unit, I can just lose three Dawn Riders. Uh, it's it's really rough uh, playing against Gobsprack. You have to just um, you have to be much more careful with spells. And most of the time, when I'm playing against Gobsprack, my tech list end up uh, taking taking uh, ten wounds on turn one because it takes two d6 and it's. I don't know why it's already ten. It's always ten, 10 wounds on, on turn one, and you're like, 
oh yeah, Teclis has, has taken 10. It's eh, it, it, it's a bit rough. But yeah, other than that, uh, no goal, uh, OBR in general, and everything that heals and where, where you, your damage does not stick is a bit rough. But everything that has a low bravery you can handle because of the Cathalos spell and the Teclis spell. Um, so yeah, basically Nurgle and OBR and Big Wah to an extent. Another part two Skaven spawns question, which is a fascinating one, and I don't expect you to go too deep with this, is um, for the folks who weren't following the tournament, um, in the semi-final matchup between yourself and Big Phil, um, unfortunately that game ended early because um, something that people might not know is there was actually a lot of illness that was going through the tournament. And I don't know if it was gastro or something that was happening, but um, there were a number of people who had to drop or they disappeared. And uh, unfortunately, Big Phil was having some, some health challenges and I think he was throwing up a few times. And unfortunately, that particular game, which was on stream, um, had to be called early. And, you know, obviously player welfare and, and people looking after themselves is the most important thing. But Skaven Spawn asking, you know, how do you think that game would have went? Um, I know you got up to about turn three at that particular point. Um, do you think that you would have still beaten um, the the Gits list, which was heavy uh, Boingrot Bounders and Scragrot and things like that? Or how do you think that game would have played out if it was played at its full potential and um, Phil was healthy as um, healthy? Mm, the um, the two two times fifteen bone grid bounders list, I have somewhat of an av advantage there on the list because I have uh, bravery check spells, and I can pretty much pretty much lock one pack and try to handle the other, uh, which is what I did. Um, at the point where Phil conceded, it was uh, start of turn three. It did not brought back the the bounders that died, and he had the prey on turn three, but uh, he had nothing really left on the board because he, he had one pack of bounders, but he, it was double controlled. So basically, the that unit should not have any impact if it, if he had taken the turn, and he did not brought back anything. So it was. It I think it was the the two rolls to to bring back something that failed that just made him think about conceding because it was already a tough game for him because of his health. And after that roll, I think I would have won the game. You mean I mean dice are involved there, so you cannot really know. But in that position, I think uh, I would have won. But I would definitely have, li have liked uh, playing a full game with Phil being healthy, because maybe his his two first turn would have been different. Because I, I think he said to me that as he as he was sick, he was just I'm just gonna throw everything at you and see what's happening. Yeah. And I I think Phil can play a much better game than that, and the game would have been a lot closer than that uh, if Phil what was at full health. So I'm pretty much uh, I pretty much want to play him again when he's on top form and see uh, what's happening there. 
I would love to pay. If it was a pay-per-view, I would pay to watch that game. And, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, like watching that unfold, unfortunately, you know, health was, was you know, significant right at the start. And like I said, uh, a lot of people got gastro throughout the event. And, you know, being in a tournament, it, it, I haven't seen it ha happen like that. But unfortunately, with the international communities and foreign foods and, you know, people, like there was just a lot of things going on and there was a lot of food, food you know, sickness so or some type of bug or whatever it is. So, yeah. but anyway, the top eight are all invited to come back next year. So I can't wait to see you all compete and uh, hopefully you get that rematch. I'd love to see it on the top tables. A couple of other burning questions I've got for you. Jewel asking, um, why did you pick the pendulum over Gravetide? Is it because that Sword Black Gravelord had some nerfs or was there a specific reason um, that you dropped the Gravetide? Mm, not really. I think people overhype Gravetide. Uh, the the go Gravetide is good, but the goal of my list is to handle kind of everything. And uh, if I need to just deal with one wound infantry, I have 15 Dawn Riders that does the job. So I don't really need Gravetide there. And Pendulum is great against everything. Nothing likes getting D6, B, D6 mortals on multiple things. Um, Pendulum is just the battle spell there, and I probably think it's going to go up some points. A couple more questions about Luminef. The other one coming from Jewel again, saying, um, "How do you use the Cathalars once per game? Sorry, the Calligraves once per game ability? Um, do you explain when and how you use the ability?" Yeah, so that that ability uh, is triggering. You can trigger it at any round, but on the first round it's on a four up, second round in a three up, etc. And you give up your spell. So in most matchups, it's just if I don't want to cast a spell, I'm just using that ability. So probably on first turn, it's a four up. I mean, either it goes off or it doesn't. It doesn't really impact the game. But against uh, EV magic matchup like Seraphon. I just keep it for turn two uh, because three is much more reliable. And if I can if I can do the three up on turn two, I have a tech list at the center of the board that unbinds that have unlimited unbinds on plus three against Seraphon with an auto unbind with primals. And it can really become a nightmare for the Seraphon to just cast one spell. Uh, but yeah, basically just I'm, I'm throwing it uh, on turn one when I don't have anything else to do. That's just it. Cool. Uh, two more Lumineth questions, both coming from Peter the second. Um, this is a really interesting one, actually, considering how little wounds you have. But um, the first question coming from Peter is, how do you handle lists that are a hard alpha hitting or are very focused on a charge? So um you know if somebody builds up a bunch of momentum and charges you pretty quickly um there is a very high risk that you are overrun by the likes of corn or ogres or orcs or sons or anyone that wants the doors of cane um how do you think about that particular matchup and and handle them uh actually the list is pretty good against agro lists um because of uh, the fact that um, I, I, I lack damage in that, in, in that list. So if you give me damage at your turn, uh, I'm actually happy because um, 
you may you might not know it because but Don Rider has are the best screen in the game uh for that amount of points. Uh nothing that costs uh their their costs like like one hundred and twenty can can remove those. They, they are really, really hard to remove for that amount of points. Because uh, once per battle, you can attack those, you can all out death those, you have minus one to it. The counter to that is mortals. So ogres have some play here, but orcs, uh, not really a problem. I, I really prefer orcs that really goes all in on turn one. And then I have range for blizzard. I have Altharian that is already in range. I have Teclis that can that can hit stuff. I have two, my two control spell for for low bravery units. Um, basically, I have all my kit is in range if you come to me. And uh, if I if I'm deploying correctly, there is no way you can get to my to my main piece. And I'm perfectly fine losing the Dawn Riders, the Wardens. If all of your army is in my face, you can get my screen. I don't care. I can I can finish the game without those. The final question from Peter, and then I have some reflection questions, is um, so Peter's saying, as a fellow Lumineth Realm Lords player that has a problem making it work, and I think a lot of Lumineth players are struggling to make their army work in this current season. What are your best tips or recommendations to make Lumineth a stronger army? Hmm. Lumineth is, is a bit of a complex army and you can build it in a lot of ways. Uh, for instance, I have a, I have a non-techlist list for when Seraphon is a bit out of the meta, maybe, hopefully. Um, and also, uh, Lumineth is also, you build it to fit your play style. Um, not everybody will be able to run Techlist properly because it's a really particular play style. And yeah, Techlist is a whole army by himself. So you have Techlist build, non-Techlist build. And my philosophy there, and it's not universal because some players play it differently, but I'm, I'll never play Metrica for two reasons, at least at, in that GHB. Uh, for one, you have a free tactic, which is four spells. And with Imetrica, uh, it's a bit harder. If you play Imetrica Techlist, maybe, but a, a similar list to the Danish player uh, the, um, that played it at Worlds last year. But I'm not sure it's the best list right now. Um, but yeah, you really need to, uh, in my opinion, you need to be able to do that tactic in Lumineth because it's your only real first turn tactic that you can do 100% of the time. And if when you build your list, you cannot do that tactic, I would already say that it's a mistake. Um, but some players are, are experimenting Imetrica with not so much spellcaster. I don't really like it because it doesn't feel like feels like Luminate. It feels like Fire Slayers, and I'm not playing Gross. Um, and also about the rest, you can pretty much tailor the list to do anything that you want. But um, some key points: you don't have any units that is kill either, so you won't you won't build an aggro list with that. Uh, 
I think you, yeah, you, 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 your units that is, yeah, that it's hard, the hardest. Maybe are blade lords uh, with more tools or um, stone guards, but stone guards move four and uh, moving four with uh, with an army that can double the speed is kind of criminal. Um, and other than that, if you want to hit hard, you have to go with Elfarian or a cow, um, which are great, but you know, it's, it's not a more crusher. If you do not have the speed, you, it's a different army. You, you, you cannot play aggro with that. It's all, it's always be a bit about control or if you build Dimitrika, it's, it's about tanking, but I don't really like that build. Um, yeah, you, 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 you will have to do a lot of repetition. You will have to get comfortable with the list, with the with the army, because the army is about re resource management. You have Itaquas to to manage. You have the your spells to manage. You have a lot of things to to manage around, and it's really it's not a, a an easy army to get into, but it's really rewarding, and you have a lot of choices every time. Uh, you're never really stuck in a position. You can always do some things. So yeah, just if you like that idea uh, of being able to play uh, in, a, in any position, you, you will like Luminef. Just start playing and try to understand what fits your play style, what you need to like. Definitely bring Altharian. Um, and uh, you you don't have to play techless uh, because there is some lists without techless that are really great. Um, and techless is a bit of a hard one to start with. I don't think I would recommend for a beginner to start play, playing with techless. But also, you cannot learn techless without playing him. So if you really want to play a techless list, just start playing with him and. You, you'll get some losses there. Just be analytical about why you did lose. It's probably not a list problem. Um, and just try to, to improve, discuss with your opponents, uh, because your opponents might have some ideas about what you should have been doing, you should have done. And yeah, yeah, uh, big advice. Don't chain uh, too much game in a row. Uh, reflecting on your games is as important as playing those love it and and you mentioned analytical how how can i be better better at being analytical about the game do you have any advice for me uh for this reflection uh yeah the first thing is you have to get rid of the attitude of luck so there's no luck in this game yeah some dice roll are better than others uh, some dice rolls are mo much more important than others, like prior priority. But the goal of the game and the goal of Luminef is to reduce the variance, is to to not care that much about those dice rolls. And it's all the philosophy behind that list is, yeah, I could have some bad dice rolls, but I can still recover by doing this and or that. Um, and so never blame on luck. Uh, I, I played 72 games. I don't think I played one perfect game in those 72. Uh, I always have uh, some things I say I can do better in every game I, I do. And 
it's really better to focus on that than to focus on some ba bad roles. I see so much people just blaming dice rolls or, well, if I, if I have done that role at that point, is it going to help you to think about that? No. Uh, can you control the dice rolls? No. So just think about what you can control and how you can make that dice roll less relevant. That's really the main goal. I would love to see you play Destruction. Like come come play come play Sons of Behemoth with me and see the uh, the casino variance between being amazing and being horrible. But in Lumineth, yeah, absolutely, it's about. Um, I always say it's about predictability and knowing your variance. Right? It's like if I don't have all my buffs, what can I expect my wardens to do? If I have all my buffs, what can I expect them to do? So regardless, you're making better decisions in the moment as opposed to over-assuming or under-assuming because you haven't done the analytics. And, and the reflection and talking to your opponent post-game is, is great. Uh, you know, using like tabletop battles or some type of record to see was there particular battle tactics you dropped or something that I recommend a lot of people do is take photos of their deployment. Like every yep. game I take a photo of my deployment because if something worked really well, I want to replicate it. If, if I play Lumineth and I didn't go very well, then I want to look at that and go, could I have done something different? And, you know, as an example of the, the Ogre game, maybe not stringing out my Noblars and, you know, having having a spell cast on them, you know, splitting them up or condensing them or, you know, less castling may have been the better approach. So yeah, when you I, don't when need I, a castle against me. You don't need a castle. You can put your thread uh, up front. What, what are you fearing? But 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 I've learned my lesson. I don't want to repeat it. So what I'm saying yeah. is I look at that and go, oh, maybe I should have done this and this and this. And then next time um, I don't do it or hopefully I don't do it because I'm deliberately putting the feedback into practice. Yeah. All right. Last question, and I'm going to let you go. And by the way, if people have been enjoying this, um, you will be doing an interview with French Wargaming Studio. Um, so go check them out. They'll be on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be in French or if it'll be in English. It's probably but... going to be in French. But... Okay. So I've got the exclusive in English, and they've got the exclusive in French, and I, I, I'm yeah. okay with that. By the way, say hello to Julian and the team. Um, I loved my time with them. Unfortunately, we didn't get to spend more time. I think Julian wanted me on stream at some point, but it was just such a busy weekend. But um, yeah. I absolutely respect the hell out of what they do. They do incredible work. But my last question for you, and then you can kind of say thank yous and hellos and whoever you want to do. But if I've listened to this entire podcast and I'm thinking about I want to be at the next Warhammer Championship, I want to win my next major event. I want to come to, to the, the championship. It sounds incredible. What advice would you give to me in order to improve my performance to ultimately go and, and win this golden ticket, to go win that major event? Like, so, what, what, what can I do? Yeah. So a few things. So first, uh, play the game a lot. That's just a given. Um, and go to a few tournaments. Because uh, if you go to only one tournament that has a golden ticket, you can you have to win that one. If you go to 10 tournaments, if you can, obviously, but if you go to 10 tournaments that have golden ticket, you have much better odds, right? Um, but on your performance, just play the game and reflect on the game. 
like we just said before, uh, reflecting on the game is as much important uh, as playing it. Uh, focus on yourself. Um, stop, uh, stop complaining about dice rolls. Uh, you can also find a good sparing partner. I found someone, Martin, shout out to him, which is great um, because you can discuss everything with him. Because reflecting alone is something, but it's always better to have somebody to bounce ideas. And uh, so having someone to do that is really key also. And uh, if you can try to, after each game, just win or loss, just uh, try to find you, your errors there. What did you do wrong? What did you do right? Did you win because uh, because you you had the you had the right plan for the for the game? Did you lose uh, because you had a bad plan or not? Uh, you you have to be really analytical of on what happened during the game, regardless of dice rolls, uh, because you cannot control that. So don't focus on that. And uh, you you really have to sometimes you lose a game and. You feel like, yeah, I should have won that one, but dice rolls were bad. Just um, wait a minute and just do the do the um, do the probability there, the probability curve, and that's what, what what I do. If sometimes I make a decision, I do it and it goes bad. So I just uh, after afterwards, I just go to a, a website to do the probability. Um, and if the probability for it to go bad was above like 5% and if it was key to the game, then it was a mistake to do it. And just having the probability, uh, having the, the, the number, the probability number of the, the thing uh, to, to be really analytical about that is really important because sometimes, yeah, if, if it was like a 0.1% of happening and it happened, yeah, it's not a big deal. I made the right choice there. Uh, I, I should do that choice there. It went bad. All right, that's not a problem. It was a 0.1% chance. No worries. Let's go on to another thing. But really try to be uh, analytical about those. And yeah, just play and reflect mostly. I love it. And for anyone who's wondering, there are like type in Maths Hammer, for example, and you can find certain websites. Like, there's plenty of them. Like I'm, I'm not being vague for a particular reason. There's there's a couple of them. Um, find whatever one that suits you better. And there's some incredible ones. Like you could see like what the damage output of your unit is against armor save six five four three two one, ignoring rend and wards. And um, you could look at you know proper even just understanding the probability of charging, right? Like it's one of my bugbears where I see Soulblight Grave Lords, for example, put Graveguard in a, a grave site and then they expect to land a nine inch charge. Now the probability of hitting a nine inch charge is like 25%. You put on a command point and you raise it up to about 48, I think, percent. So yeah. it's still a 50-50 chance of hitting it with a CP um, reroll. Now, is that a viable strategy that you can apply and consistently get the damage? No. What happens if it fails? Well, I'm sitting there. What happens if my opponent wins the priority roll? Well, then they're probably going to die or be avoided. So, like, I think what you've said and, and reflecting on um, expected outcomes and, and focusing more on 
what can I control as opposed to I lost it because I lost the priority role. Oh, I, I lost it because I made these bad dice rolls. It's more that what could I have done differently to have a better outcome? Could I have yep. done something, you know, should I have changed the sequence order of my spells? Should I have baited out the primal dice earlier to get some of my critical spells off um, later? You know, should I have picked uh, certain units for combat instead of the ones that I picked? Or um, should I have had this unit supporting this unit? And when you start to ask questions like, what could I have done differently? It's not the blame game. It's more about, is there a decision that I could have made that I can now avoid making or change to, to change my outcome? Yeah, exactly. All right. Nicola, this has been incredible. I want to just, off the back of everybody, I just want to say uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, I just, I wish <laughs> that didn't I? I, I? That was terrible, wasn't it? Uh, it's okay. Uh, it, merci à tous. It's been a while since I've been to France, but I actually would love to come back. I, I spent about two weeks in Paris. Absolutely enjoyed it. I miss the, the French breakfast. Give me my orange juice, my black coffee, my croissant, my, uh, what else is it? Orange juice, coffee, croissant, baguette, bit of baguette. And like even having a baguette in my backpack and like have some cheese and eat it, uh, snacking during the day. Absolutely love France. So, uh, and I found everyone was so nice. Like, um, and, and and it was yeah. and it was it's true of like the people that I met um at the worlds like I got a chance to talk to a lot of you and I had I have nothing but pleasant lovely things to say um absolute gentlemen and um lovely people yeah if you ever come to Paris just hit me up and we'll do we'll do things I'd love to come back to Paris but um is there anything that you want to shout out any people uh, you are on twitter and i'll put your um your link in the, the description i think it's at spoon is it correct me if i'm wrong at spooner uh, s-p-o-o-n-e-u-h okay I'll, I'll put it down below yeah. so people can follow yeah. you and, and and talk more but anyone you want to call out any obviously the yeah i i definitely want to thank the whole french community because uh the community as a whole has been insane during the whole event. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Martin, my Spanish partner, and Tiffen, a close friend that really wanted to come and hopefully will come next year. Uh, just a quick shout out to my parents, which were still up at 4 a.m. watching me, uh, playing a game they don't understand at all. Um, so that was really, really great. And uh, all the persons that were that were there, you were all awesome. Uh, all my opponents were great. Uh, I, I'd love to talk with them. I'd love to play them again. And the staff, you, you yourself, and all the other organi organizers and judges were all great. It was really a, a perfect event for me. It it ended perfectly. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody. No, it was an absolute pleasure. And I heard nothing but positive things. And when you won, I heard nothing but people just congratulate you and say, you know, how clean of a game that you had and very sportsmanlike. And 
um, any, any, like anyone, like people can often think, you know, oh, to win, they get like a gotchas and gamey and like, you know, no, actually it's a hundred percent great game. Um, and if French Wargaming Studios do put their videos up, I don't know if they're on Twitch still, but hopefully they put it up on YouTube at some, uh, at some time, I'd go recommend checking out the, um, the, the battle reports because they were great games to watch. And, uh, I had the pleasure to watch many of them, uh, in real time, but, Thank you again so much for your time. Uh, go follow uh, Nicola. And, um, yeah, also, I, I can't wait to see you again. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, French community, you pick this man in your team. So I know in January, you guys will, will, will pick your team. Um, I have uh, put my foot down. You are in the team. Congratulations. Uh, go tell the rest of France because I've, I've made that executive decision. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> Th <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the stream. Leave a comment in the comment section. Let us know what your thoughts are. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you got a better understanding of what it takes, but also the mentality and the mindset and the proactive nature and the strategic thinking and the, the approach to competitive wargaming if you want to play at the highest level. So, uh, Nicola, you've been incredible. Thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks. Have a nice day. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. Now, if you did, I would love it if you press like on the video, as well as left me a comment with your thoughts. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the episode description. I also want to give a massive shout out to the AOS Coach patrons and YouTube members who are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you are all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a double one on a spellcast.